It's episode seven. All right, what are we drinking today, Victoria? Well, first off, who are you? Oh, right. <laughs> I probably shouldn't open up with that. Yeah, maybe <coughs> reset, reset, reset. Hi, right. everyone. We're Hi. back. We're back. Uh, I'm Victoria. And I'm Gloria. And this is the Chemist Confessions podcast, a human conversation on all the skincare science that we love to talk about every day. Every day. Um, Over a few drinks. Yeah, and today's topic it's all about sunscreen things you might not have known we're gonna say might because there's some people that know are pretty a lot. advanced yeah refer back to episode five i yeah. believe of the season yeah. if you want more of a beginner primer on mm-hmm. all things sunscreen mm-hmm. but you know it's such a big topic we're deep into summer now mm-hmm. and i'm sure you'll hear more drama on the sunscreen front so no, we figure please, we should dive no. a little deeper <laughs> over a bottle of Sapporo. Yeah, it's that kind of day. I was telling Cheers. Gloria, I could not look more like a dad on Memorial Day weekend <laughs> with my island shirt. So, yeah. And I was telling Victoria that I am alarmed at just how soothing this cold, cold beer is to my soul <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right. But before we get into it, let's do a little bit of brand update uh, with, honestly, um, maybe we'll start off with the minis. Yeah. All right. So um, we have been working hard at helping people make better decisions on what products, <laughs> better decisions like make general, good choices, <laughs> buy our products. <laughs> I should rephrase that. <laughs> uh, we realized that we pack a lot of science into every single one of our products mm-hmm. uh, and we do our best in communicating uh, who it's for, what it's for, but ultimately um, it's still better to just try it and yeah. see if it's right for your skin. Yep. And it's been really challenging, but we finally are able to bring back minis Uh, if you go to our website right now you'll see three different kits for your skin needs we have hydration nation which features aquafix and mr reliable they are two of our best sellers and they can be really mix and match in different ways that um, make sense for your skin type Uh, we have the pro glow kit which has aquafix and gold standard uh, now, gold, gold Sander has 3% glycolic acid. Mm-hmm. It is the gold standard because it is our most uh, efficacious exfoliation product. But that means it might not be for everyone or the way you use it might have to change. So the, uh, this mini kit is perfect for those that want to elevate their efficacy, but yep. kind of skittish. Yeah, we get it. You need a baby step introduction. Also, just kind of take a quick moment to say, oh, have I run away? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um just gonna take a quick moment to say if you hear feedback it is because construction is happening and there's literally nothing we can do about it yeah i did want to share that um we got a really really sweet uh feedback from our listener who says that sometimes our edit makes these Mm -hmm. like there's some shrill feedback the sound quality isn't up to par they're saying our puzz are blowing out their eardrums yeah which is fair yeah sorry we're, we, we're working on we'll it we'll keep that in mind and be more finessed about it yeah so um but back to the mini so did we do all three of them oily no last oily one is oily skin uh, essentials um that is mr reliable and the specialist mm-hmm. the specialist has 18 percent mandelic acid and two yeah. percent cell acid it's honestly best used as a spot treat mm-hmm. We have our friends that really apply it all over and leave on those. So just, you know, what works for your skin. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, um, we realize with new skincare and especially with people that I believe share similar philosophies to us, we always say introduce things slowly and mm. hopefully with these little mini kits that can help with that. 
If you want to try our minis and you're new to our brand, we are offering a coupon code right now called CC Minis on screen here. Um, it just will offer you a kit for free, just pay shipping. We want you to really know what works for you before you come in. Yeah, for sure. And the other effort we have in trying to better explain, better introduce our skincare line that we're not very good at talking about is a skincare quiz. Um, this will be something that will be live uh, on our website soon. The date should be here on when it goes live. <laughs> and um, with that, the goal is to help find your next love, whether it's a cleanser, a moisturizer, an exfoliating treatment, or a retinol treatment, or even just some general routine tips. We hope to capture that and, and ultimately be almost like a baby version of the chemist recommended. Yes. Um, we really enjoy doing that, but it is a huge effort on our front mm -hmm. because the two of us are behind every one of those responses, reading through all of the routines. And while we wish we could clone us and clone many versions of us to, to support the chemist recommended, <laughs> yeah, it's not a good thing for this world. Ultimately, this quiz should be able to help everyone find their next product. Yeah, so um, that's it. A quick and easy brand update. We'll wrap up per usual with some nice words. Yep. And today's nice words are also brief. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first one is for our baby steps exfoliation treatment. And the title is The Perfect Starter. Love mm. this product. It's effective but gentle when used properly. Mm. And I really wanted to highlight this one because of the keyword used properly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with our entire exfoliation line, we do squeeze a lot of actives in there at very high levels ultimately we kind of want people to get used to and be able to enjoy the real benefits from using high levels of these exfoliants but um but that's not not everyone's ready to dive into yeah. these higher level treatments and baby steps is the beginner right so if you use baby steps as a booster mix well with your moisturizer or, uh, or your or your serum it's a it's a great beginning and then you can level up to use it as a mask um, so yeah, I love that this person sounded like they experimented with it and have found what works for them. I also think it's hard with so much marketing and noise out there on social media. You always feel like you need to do more is more, right? And the thing about our formulas is that we're trying to share that less is actually more. You know, you can do once a week mass and still get those benefits. And I think that's a really hard behavior to mm -hmm. unlearn, especially if you're used to hearing people be like, I have a really strict regimen, I do this every night, I do multiple things a night. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like that comment. Um, and then finally, our next really nice review is about Mr. Reliable. Uh, so this person said, all around moisturizer. This lightweight moisturizer is everything. I upgraded my samplings to full-size products perfect. What I enjoy about the moisturizer is that I layer it as my last layer in my daily routine. It's silky smooth and does not feel heavy as the last layer. Yay! And perfect. That's actually the the position in her routine is where we would recommend and I'm glad she's found her layering like solution. Style. Layering key. <laughs> <laughs> that's a call to the minis try it try these products today yeah. if you haven't yet um and we hope you enjoy it yeah 
Uh, and that's that for brand updates. For once, it is not about the stock situation. Oh my god! <laughs> if we have to put a little disclaimer here by the time this episode comes out, I would just just know we're like ah. flailing in the background. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> but anyways, moving on to in the news. In the news. All right, Gloria. Right. Hit me. It seems juicy. <laughs> first things first. I want to have a quick blip about the honeypot drama. So for those of you who are unaware, and I want to wager that uh, the overlap between Honeypot's uh, customers and people who listen to us is probably close to zero percent. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I was, say, I was like, no idea. <laughs> they probably think it's the honey coupon code. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Honeypot is essentially a femcare brand that is sold mainly at Target. They are a small company that mm-hmm. is pretty new to the retail world. Um, their whole the the general brand story is that um, the founder had a dream from her ancestors and had found her, her plant recipes for femcare. So anyway, what happened was after they got into retail, they had to change their formula. Um, it's and they were people. Uh, people saw the ingredient changes before they were able to make an official announcement. And there is a lot of drama. If you go to their Instagram page and Twitter, there are a lot of people calling them out. There, people are very upset about this whole change. Now, I'm Honeypot's positioning very different from ours. Their DNA brand DNA is very different from ours. We're not here to like really weigh in on their decision to change their formula or like um, and what have you. That's 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 kind of on them. But I think ultimately, what I wanted to bring up the story is the importance of preservatives. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, so all I want to say is, so two of the ingredients that cause a lot of drama in Honeypot is they added phenoxyethanol ethanol and propylene glycol. And they are used to um, help preserve their formula. And people are, there's a lot of fear about these new ingredients. And a lot of people are saying things like, oh, you know, like phenoxyethanol ethanol, is a chemical, I, I can't pronounce it, or it doesn't, there's a lot of fear around that. And then and then there are people saying things like, oh, it's it's a carcinogen. It just feels like chemo, uh, chemophobia is just so close to us, right? I feel like obviously our listeners and our customers aren't necessarily people who who buy into that, but it's, it's still so prevalent. Um, and at the end of the day, I just want to say, Preservation is very important. <laughs> when it comes to things that touch your hoo-ha, it shouldn't be growing a new hoo-ha. <laughs> in general. <laughs> general speechless at that line. And now people are going to be like, what? Skincare can grow hoo-ha? It's not how that works. It's not hoo-ha. Um, so, I, yeah, I totally agree. Again, um, you guys may realize we're not ones to really dabble in the drama. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely will call it when something's very wrong. And the issue around this is just solid preservatives, right? Yep. Um, in terms of the customers that follow them, I hate to say it, I it almost gives us joy that people are asking questions about the original formula and the actual preservative situation of the original formulas, and that actually makes us happy. So, um, again, you know, being brand owners ourselves, that, you know, I, let's just say when you get into big box retail, that, yeah, that that's going to matter. Yeah. and. 
it actually ends up filtering out maybe not so great formula situation so at least there's that safeguard yeah so i mean at the end of the day i hope um every brand out there makes more responsible decisions and yeah good luck honey pot <laughs> i also wanted to say like you know with the clean initiative they always talk about how like you know they preservatives are the first to be bashed and we definitely see it in suppliers that they feel that demand of we need alternative preservatives yes and i want to remind everyone this is exactly what happened with parabens and mm -hmm. why parabens got thrown up under the bus for the wrong reasons um when you have alternatives that means you have ingredients that have been tested much less than the original mm -hmm. and so while you they can certain brands tout that oh these are less sensitizing these are safer they're only saying that because the data isn't there yet they haven't done the due diligence yet so this so. is like kind of what happened to phenoxyethanol yeah phenoxyethanol is was pretty much the paraben replacement yeah. that got put in a lot of formulas yeah um it has to be used at a higher level than parabens mm -hmm. in general for most formulas and and then their study i mean all preservatives have the potential to sensitize your skin yep. and now it's being used at a higher level mm -hmm. and a higher frequency in products so now all of a sudden people are like oh, big phenoxyethanol yeah phenoxy is bad you know phenoxy is toxic and we're just going to keep doing this to ourselves if we don't understand like how preservatives work it's why we do what we do so that this doesn't keep happening and then your formulas don't get upcharged mm -hmm. for these alternative natural preservative si systems that honestly are just not as well understood so i've opened the can of worms we're going to close the can of worms but hopefully you can understand why we have to raise an eyebrow at things like this yeah, yeah. so um good luck honey pie <laughs> and uh preservatives are important that's it <laughs> keep asking questions guys all right cool. next topic next. hit me uh, Ulta is bringing back their Muse Accelerator, and it is a program specifically for BIPOC-owned brands. So minority-owned brands, this is a great chance to get in front of the Ulta yeah. Accelerator. Um, the prizes, eight brands are chosen, will receive 50K in funding, which honestly, as far as a brand goes, is like nothing. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's the knowledge and the it's a flame. <laughs> it's a flame before entry. It's the knowledge and the friends you make along the way. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's so motivating. As you can tell, Gloria will never be hired as a motivational speaker. Uh, anyway, it's uh, I think the program is six to eight weeks, um, but it comes with education. Yeah. And you meet with other founders. Yeah. You meet with people who work on the Alta side too you know give you a lot to think about we we ourselves did the target accelerator these programs are really fantastic mm -hmm. it gives you an insight into things that you really have to think about in terms of how do you scale your production uh how do you market once you're in retail because you know it's these retailers are massive how do you build a presence in places you've never been before yep so, so it's a great opportunity if you're a small brand owner you know, check it out. It's um, their application's open right now. I hope by the time this episode comes out, the application window should still be open. Yeah. So, all right. Ooh, 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 ooh. Celebrity bingo. Yeah, we have our next. I think we both might, we might both have her on here. Actually, because she already launched it. I don't, oh, I, I definitely I didn't don't. have it. And I mm. didn't realize that this year is the, 
it's the relaunch of celebrity skincare. It's not launches, it's relaunch of skincare. Yes. So, um, who else other than the bodacious Kim K <laughs> is coming out with a skincare line? Of course. Uh, we are recording this on June 7th. And 8th. 8th. Holy crap. We are <laughs> recording this um, podcast on June 8th. I think her line was set to come out on June 17th. Mm. So we're not going to do a decode here. All the press is already out. I just find it hilarious. So first of all, the brand's name is Kaskin. <laughs> it's S-K-K-N. Is that it, it's it's basically a one off from her underwear brand, right? Skims. Yes. Okay. So, what's interesting is before this launch has even come out, there is backlash and controversy over the name. Yeah, because apparently Lori Harvey has a skincare line called SKN by LH. So it's only mm. one letter off. There's a lot of drama, and I am starting to think that Kim is doing this for publicity because mm. before Skims launched, it was called Kimono, yep. and she tried to trademark Kimono. <laughs> so it's starting to feel like a PR move. Oh, so it's no. part of the launch algorithm. Create yes. a lot of chaos mm-hmm. to get the attention. All the headlines. And people now associate that word with Kim K. Exactly. Genius. Good luck, Kim K. Uh, what's interesting is I think we will be doing a few decodes. The oh, price- hell yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I am ready for that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the price point is a bit high. What I'm really mm-hmm. eyeing and excited about decoding is she is going to have a $90 hyaluronic acid serum and also a $95 vitamin mm. C oil. Yeah stretching getting Just ready. ready for the big leagues yeah yep cool All that's right. on our list i i actually did want to add there's another launch coming i'm sure people in the social media realm know it's road skincare by Haley bieber that's oh, actually yes. coming out at the same similar time frame as kim k mm-hmm. and i think that will also be equally interesting um i think that's been whispered actually Gloria and i have like heard I, it uh, through the grapevine that, that is coming Hailey bieber on my bingo yeah so we yeah so that will also be interesting because i think i gotta be honest I think Hailey Bieber is a lot more in tune with skincare than Kim K, who I think probably is more in tune with the procedure and office situation. So I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. Um, there's no word on price point or anything like that. So we'll see. Cool. All right. That's that. Next, I wanted to share a headline that made me feel really old and out of the loop. Um, it goes, the sandbox tags people of the crypto uh, and Nick's professional makeup launch and hashtag MetaPride. Oh my god. Yes. So, um, it's a different POC. <laughs> uh, sandbox and people of the crypto <laughs> are collaborating with Nick's to launch. Wait, seriously, it's called POC? <laughs> Correct. Wow. People okay, guys. Yes are collaborating with Nick's Professional Makeup to launch the Valley of Belonging, the first diversity, equity, and inclusivity hub in the metaverse on June 24th. And I'm sitting here like, how many words do I not truly understand in this <laughs> sentence? How many words can they cram yeah. to get it trending on Twitter? Yes. Okay. So essentially, it is an NFT avatar that you can buy in this virtual reality type of... Do you know how much the NFT costs? Um, yes, I think it's 50k. 
or they I think they're launching a set. I think the total is gonna be fifty K. The okay. idea is that NYX is gonna donate all of this to the Los Angeles LGBTQ Center. It's like a huge push. And I just have to say I read that and I'm like, wow, I have a very vague idea of what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel so out of the loop. So this is what I would like to happen. Mm-hmm. They take this. Mm-hmm. They advertise to tech companies. Mm-hmm. They get money. Mm-hmm. And then they make our products cheaper <laughs> as the actual consumer. Big brain moves. Because the consumers are knowing how paying for that. Hey, uh, Sandbox, we will sell our bubble, guys, <laughs> as Avatar NFTs. It will 50K start- a pop. We'll do it for 45K. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny because I read oh, that Lord. and made me squint. So, oh, man. Yeah. This, this actually reminds me of with um, NASA doing skincare tests um, in, in space. Yeah. Similar to this. You know, get the, you know, I really hope just get the funding, put it towards good things, mm-hmm. cheaper products, good initiatives. Great. Take really Silicon like Valley money, put it in there. Great. Like it. Oh my god, like Robin Hood. <laughs> Silicon Valley. Yes, yes, yes. But to beauty. <laughs> beauty consumers. Yes. <laughs> All right, anyways, we've digressed. Cool. Next one. <laughs> As the trend this year, every new segment, we have to share a little sustainability initiative. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. So this is, uh, this news comes out of Asia. Hong Kong's mm. Watson, for those of you who don't know, Watson is a massive chain in Asia. Huge. There is like one every other blog. Huge. Yes. So uh, about 170 stores in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong is tiny. There's 170 Watsons there. <laughs> Just think about that. Um, anyway, they had partnered with L'Oreal for a recycling program initiative. That's awesome. What's really cool is this program will be brand agnostic, so you can bring in any of your empties, and they will help you take it apart and recycle it. That's um, awesome. I think it's really great. Hong Kong is a very fast-moving, very busy city. Um, I'm sure this pilot, they'll see like how complicated it really gets, see if they can translate to other markets. It makes so much sense to do it in a place like Hong Kong. You get concentrated knowledge and data right off the bat. And um, I think something um, you know I have to understand is that in Asia, with the humidity, more packaging is required. Yeah. So cellophane wrap. You know, mm-hmm. things are in bags. So I think um, I think this is really cool. It also speaks to what we were talking about in the previous episode is that big companies can move the needle. Yes. And it's these kinds of initiatives, especially, you know, in other countries that, you know, require a little bit more like packaging just based on climate that... Mm-hmm. I think it's great, and um, I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah, we'll keep tabs on it. We Last episode, we talked about a lot of complexities with, with recycling, beauty mm-hmm. packaging. It's not straightforward. So I'm sure this initiative, they'll go through a lot of hurdles, but it's so important for the rest of the industry to learn from this. So yep. cool. Uh, last but not least, ooh, 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 there ooh. is a new sunscreen filter ooh, ooh, ooh. on the market. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Speaking of L'Oreal, um, <laughs> La Roche-Posay is going to launch uh, a new Mexeril for 100 And we'll cover more about it in Meat Part 2. So Perfect. Since we are ending on a sunscreen news, it's time to just dive right into the meat. All right. <clears throat> so I'm sure you guys are excited to know what you might not know. Um, and actually more of this that we'll talk about is really about application and use and it's simply because we want to share maybe what's 
actually tested in mm-hmm. clinical testing versus application. And if you guys hadn't noticed, we've gotten a UV reveal um, to kind of showcase that and hopefully sh- um, explain why, you know, application is the way it is. Um, but before we get into our learnings, we should talk about the UV reveal device itself. Yes. Um, the main thing being that it actually doesn't show what you may think is the entire broad spectrum protection and actually only shows UVA. So think about it for a second. That means that the SPF UVB is not covered in the video and pictures that you see that we share. Um, And because of that, you're actually only seeing a very small window or a very small picture of what's happening. Yeah, and this is the limitations of these Mm -hmm. home devices. We Mm -hmm. actually did get a question from someone um, in our Instagram inbox asking if she can use the UV reveal for her clinical setting. And we really advise against it because the reality is these home use LEDs, they're limited on their wavelength. UV reveals um, LED source wavelength is at 365 nanometers, which is right in the middle of the UVA range. So um, when we show these videos, our, our goal is to really just to highlight some of the, you know, lifestyle scenarios you might, uh, it might happen. So mm-hmm. like the sweat test or mm-hmm. layering and stuff that we'll get into uh, later on in this meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not really going out there. Like you shouldn't look at our data and freak out and say, oh my God, all the sunscreens out there suck, nothing works. Yep. It's just kind of a snapshot. Yep. Um, and the other thing too, um, someone had brought up a concern saying that, us sharing these videos makes it seem like we are questioning these formulas SPF protection Mm -hmm. and if you're getting proper protection Um, and just like Gloria said that should never be the takeaway it should be more about how you think of the sunscreen film in terms of application and how it might wear over time yes and um, one of the first initial uh, tests that we did, we're getting right into the topic now, is on sweat. And you'll see that for our different skin types, they're actually quite different, right? And, um, you know, sweat resistance is actually something that you can no longer claim in the U.S. So what ends up happening is people believe that by using water resistance, um, basing it off of water resistant claims, that's how you purchase sunscreen for sweat. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted to show you was that that's actually not the greatest claim to mm-hmm. fall. It doesn't necessarily mean that it holds up. Yeah. And sadly, I think that introduces a lot of doubt and we don't necessarily want you to question it. I think it's just a matter of, you know, it's important to keep to time frame of, you know, water resistance. You do what you can, you know, and I, Gloria can weigh in on your berries experience. <laughs> First of all, more sweat. Yeah, we should talk test. about yeah. that test. Yeah. We went to berries. <laughs> and I, for those of you who've never been to berries, it's like kind of a boot camp thing where you spend like 10 minutes on treadmill, 10 minutes doing weights, and you hop on and off and you sweat like, like crazy. And I have felt like it was a religious experience because every time I go to berries towards the end, I feel like I see some sort of light, some sort of tunnel. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a workout that kicks your ass for like 50 minutes, which I, is awesome. I always tell Gora, it's like, what is it, it when the trainers, they're like the most attractive trainers, uh, female, male, and they 
usually are the ones that are have the hardest classes and i end up walking away like i freaking hate your beautiful face like that anger but i'm gonna try to work to get that sculpted yes. yeah, yeah so i i sweat a lot during exercise in general yeah. and it buries i pour buckets yeah. and and really my takeaway from that is just it's a reminder to just reapply. Um, yeah. We ourselves live in Southern California, so we hike a lot. And sometimes when you're in the middle of an activity, you do forget that, mm-hmm. you know. And this type of situations, uh, the two-hour reappli- uh, reapplication mark might just not be good enough. So that test is kind of meant to demonstrate that, hey, you know, if you are being active, that's something you should keep in mind. That's it. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is like, you know, I want to say, especially my like sweat prone areas, which is like my nose and like my Gloria calls it the Jafar zone area. Um, that that's when you can see the sunscreen film start to fade. And also you need to think about things like rubbing your forehead, wiping the sweat off your brow. All of that does have an effect. And if you can think back to when we had our sunscreen review, we actually talked about an in vitro, an in vitro method where they looked at sweat water droplets mm-hmm. on film, and you can see the distortion. So I just want to remind you that sweat, salt water, water from underneath the film is much different than, you know, you're swimming and water is outside the film. So yeah. that's something that we wanted to bring light to, and just a matter of um, reapplication. Re- uh, more is more here. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about is claims outside of the U.S. Um, I think um, just know that the FDA regulates it very conservatively. There's very few claims that can be used. We use the archaic broad spectrum. But in Asia, there's a lot of really cool claims that they use. And Gloria has actually dabbled in a lot of it. So this brand, you can find some of their line, uh, some of their products on Amazon. They really took off in Japan mm. and at least Taiwan in recent years. And one of their like claim to fame is their rub resistance claim. Mm. Uh, the original goal for that claim is for, you know, when, when you go out during the summer days, you don't have to worry about getting a farmer's tan from your clothes rubbing off sunscreen here. Yeah. Um, but then COVID hit and they start positioning as, you know, resistant to the mask um, pulling on the Very sunscreen. Cool. So it was just great timing, great claims all around. And this sunscreen is just everywhere right now in Asia. Actually, I think that's a great test we could try yes. next with the uh, sunscreen reveal. So mm-hmm. we'll do that in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. Yeah. After that, we want to share some of the recent tests we've done mm-hmm. with the sunscreen reveal, a UV reveal. Um, the first thing uh, is spray sunscreens. Um, what you might not know is that in clinical testing, when they test spray sunscreens, they actually have the subjects spray on their hand the amount and then apply on face. And when you think about that, you're like, wait, that actually defeats the purpose of a spray. And you're correct because it's really hard for subjects to spray and you've got to think about user error spraying accurately that amount on your face so in order to standardize everything that's the standard operating procedure they use and that's why we you know thought it would be a really good idea to show what happens when you spray directly onto your skin and you can see that it's like eh, 
not as great as you might think. Yeah, yeah. So um, with that, we just want to remind everyone that when you do apply on face and you are spritzer on face, that's fine. Just spritz more and rub in and make mm. sure you feel that even film like an, a regular sunscreen lotion. Um, yeah, I just think that a lot of people, they like sprays because it's lightweight. They don't have to rub in because it's, you know, it's less messy in a way. Also, the other thing that kind of scares us is spritzing kids. They, they, yeah. they know that like kids don't like that heavy texture and they think spritzing makes life a lot easier, but you still got to rub it into the kid. Please, like, I know they don't like it, but it's really important. Yeah, um, I like sprays for reapplication yeah. um, when you go to beaches. It is convenient, but yeah, it, you can't just be spraying done. Um, yeah. I think when I go to the beach, there's like sand on the skin and whatever. Oh, yeah. At least try to like pat in. Yeah. Like if you can't do this motion, at least make sure you like you're spreading it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And texture wise, sprays are lighter. Mm -hmm. um, there's also those that use alcohol <laughs> just to keep it breezy fresh. and fresh. Um, but you know, it, it is a lighter application. I agree. Reapplying that is a lot nicer than applying a typical sunblock. Um, okay. Then after that, another test we've done, it's powder sunscreens. And that was quite interesting. So kind of going back to the spray sunscreen, yeah. regardless of the format of sunscreen, it can be a stick, can be a spray, mm -hmm. can be powder. Sunscreen tests are standardized to weight. Mm -hmm. We will do a post and we'll probably post a picture here of different types of sunscreen weighed out um, to the same amount. And you'll see that why these different formats, when it comes to real life practice, can vary wildly. Yeah. And in the study, we'll show the video here of me applying the powder sunscreen. You can see how much powder is actually flying off the brush when we try to shake it and make sure that it's actually dispensing. Because what you'll notice is that when you apply it, you can't tell it's going on. And you need to apply a lot. And I think almost an unnatural amount that you would not apply an average face powder. Um, and in the video, you might be wondering, hey, uh, is it even blocking anything? It looks like your skin got lighter. And again, this highlights the issues of the device that we use because what's happening is when you use powders like mica, um, it actually reflects. And because of that, it looks whiter. And that's what's happening. So it's not necessarily that it's not blocking anything, but you have reflection that's overpowering that absorbance. And that's why... The device is not a takeaway. <laughs> I do want to say that Victoria did this video and I was sitting across from her doing something else. And I'll was i be typing, I'll look up. I'll say, hmm, she looks a little matte. I looked at I look up and I'm like, wow, she looks really matte. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, she just sees this cloud, yeah, just like, like powder <laughs> just like flying everywhere. And a matte Victoria. <laughs> it's not a good look. Yeah. Mm. So that's powder sunscreens. Um, what does it mean in terms of our conclusions? It is definitely our least favorite format, yeah. for sure. We understand the... Convenience factor. Yeah, and not having to reuse or reapply makeup. Um, but it almost just feels like, why even do it? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of sad. And the other thing is, um, 
I'd still rather use a tinted sunscreen. Yeah, yeah. it just doesn't feel like a reliable option. Yeah. Even for a touch-up, it doesn't feel reliable. Yeah. All right. Cool. And then the final test we want to share is layering products. Um, and it's the question of, can I apply sunscreen underneath my foundation? And while... Definitely tinted sunscreens and tinted foundations are not ideal because of the amount you need to apply. Mm -hmm. It's really not ideal layering it either. Mm -hmm. Um, When we applied uh, the sunscreen first, we we waited, allowed it to absorb, and then apply foundation over. Um, Again, you have an issue of the foundation reflecting light, so you see it starting to whiten the skin in Uh, in the video but what's happening is as I apply foundation over sunscreen you start seeing sunscreen want to streak Mm -hmm. underneath and we'll highlight the clip here Um, and it doesn't give a lot of confidence that you're having the same uh, integrity of film as if you just applied it on bare skin yeah, and I also want to add that a lot of you all ask this question about pilling. Yeah. Pilling is one of those things that it kind of just happens. And when it comes to formula compatibility, there isn't a straightforward answer. So mm-hmm. if you if your sunscreen foundation duo has that phenomenon, guarantee that it's even worse than what Victoria is showing in the video. Yep, that's such a good point. Um, so in terms of what this means, what the takeaway should be, Ultimately, sunscreen on bare skin is an ideal situation. Um, If you need foundation and you're going outside, try to find a tinted foundation or a tinted sunscreen. Um, And then if you can't help it, yeah, we're not saying that layering a sunscreen underneath won't work, but can it work as well? That's the question. Um, So that's it's quite a wide gap, right? Won't work my work and work right so yeah i will say for daily use Mm -hmm. um if you if you uh, if you're someone that like having foundation on Mm -hmm. i would offer a foundation with spf yeah even though you're not you're most likely not applying enough to get the full like rated Mm -hmm. spf value it's still like okay that's your one even film yeah and you're still getting that even coverage so even let's say you are applying a spf 50 please don't quote me on this number i'm just just giving numbers and let's say you apply a layer that's (laughs) a little thin let's say it drops down to spf 15 just giving numbers (laughs) yanky (laughs) omeyas not based on those you're still blocking out 90 plus percent of the uv rays so that's can you guys tell we've had people come in with pitchforks being like oh but 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 we're like dude man (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah all right yeah that's such a good point um all right so that's it for use and application methods that you might not know about the next thing we're going to talk about is a little Sorry. dicey. Is this, is this topic controversial enough for you? <laughs> the next topic. <laughs> if you can't tell, we're waiting on bated breath because we wanted to talk about sunscreen for kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, but I guess here we are. <laughs> and this is going to take two seconds because the sad thing is there is no regulation on sunscreen for kids they are not testing sunscreen on kids they're not testing sunscreens on babies so 
I hate to break it to you when you guys worry about, you know, there, there's a lot of um, moms, concerned moms that want to do the right thing for their kids. And it really varies per brand. Honestly, it's a it's up to the brand to decide what warrants um, a sunscreen to be a kid sunscreen. And we will say that it's something you should ask the brand, um, honestly. And uh, for us, we know that usually this means mineral, and it usually means mineral of a certain particle size. Mm-hmm. And that particle size varies mm-hmm. because in order to not get that cement paste, white paste, um, the size has to be much smaller. Um, so I think we wanted to just share that while you may worry a lot about your child's health, um, sun again is no joke and it's especially no joke for a baby or a child so you do what you can and also think about clothing as an another add-on it's actually a very important add-on and i think um a lot of pediatricians will have like recommended some protection like goggles or like sunglasses that works better for kids because you know like sun can damage a developing eye and skin so anyway sun is definitely the enemy here and then now we're gonna move on i know that was really brief but sadly it's because there's just not a lot there um but the next thing we want to highlight and i think sadly not enough people know about is sunscreen expiration date um we get a common question of when should i throw my products out and of the products you should keep in mind it is sunscreen yeah it's super important there's a other than you know, actual bacteria mold, like the preservative system slowly dying out over time. Uh, sunscreen filter, if you're talking about mineral, they can settle over time. Maybe after the expiration date, they're not as evenly dispersed anymore. You can't trust that it's forming a protective film anymore. And the other one is lovely avobenzone. And maybe filters themselves degrade over time as well. Yeah, I will say that in for Asian sunscreens, it gets a bit dicey. And mm-hmm. it's because... Most often, everyone is finding loopholes to purchase these sunscreens, mm-hmm. and then it gets a little weird. So when you purchase them from whoever, um, sometimes it's by manufacturing date. Mm-hmm. Other times, it is an expiration date. Yeah. And other times, it's just a lot number. So it's good to be mindful of that. Yeah. So I have the alley here that I bought in Taiwan, and it is a lot number. Um I will say the outer packaging, the pa- uh, the paper packaging, depending on where you get it, there should mm-hmm. be two dates. And yeah. it's a uh, no-brainer that the lower number is manufacturing day, the higher number is expiration day. Um, the v- also popular Bureau yeah, Aqua that Reach that we test. recommend, yeah. that one we get a lot of people messages like freaking out about the date on the bottle being in the past um in my recent trip back to asia i can confirm that that date unless bureau has changed their system on me is the manufacturing date and not the um not the expiration date but then we did a study and i purchased a bureau off of amazon uh-huh. and sadly that was a lot number so this is where you know just check with where you purchase it from or the brand itself and then just make sure you keep tabs and when it expires please throw it out yeah. do not like try to salvage it for one more summer it isn't worth it just buy a new one so i have a quick mini confession 
is the one type of product that I tend to over salvage. It's oh. definitely anything powder type. Uh huh. I have this one totally eyeshadow true. palette that Victoria has witnessed. The hinge <laughs> coming off, and <laughs> literally the whole thing comes apart. It's like a Dior one, and it's really old. And one day, I think it was very recently, I was like, "This has been with us." For the entirety of Kelly's confessions, <laughs> it is probably time to go. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I I am the same way. I think um, two years into Kelly's confessions, I pulled the people for palette recommendations, and I ended up buying the Milani like just nude palette. Mm-hmm. By the way, great recommendation. It is solid, but. Yeah, I have yet to throw that out. I don't plan to anytime soon. I guess Gloria will have to just throw that out for me without me looking. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I totally agree. And I think lipsticks too. Yeah. Because I feel very guilty that I've only worn some of those colors once. Mm-hmm. And and I low-key like collecting them, which yeah. is weird. And then I feel very sad throwing them out. I have a recent really bad guilty pleasure. I bought a Gucci lipstick. Because, <laughs> uh, <yeah>. what? <laughs> yeah, so I bought it at airport because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm getting a great deal. It's tax free. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I, and I was torn. I was at the airport and the, the lady was like upselling me all the colors, yada, yada, yada. And in that time, I was in a really weird mode. I was like, oh, I really like the, I was straight up buying it for the packaging because you guys haven't seen. Gucci makeup have really good. It is beautiful. Packaging. That's true. So I really want the gold one. hundred percent based on the packaging, not the actual formula. And then she was like telling me how, like, oh, you know, in Asia this is the most popular color. Yada yada yada. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want a pedestrian color. Give me that brick red, because I don't have a brick red. <laughs> to this date. I, I haven't seen it yet. Victoria hasn't seen that color. I have not worn that color. I will soon. Maybe one day I'll wear like my plain old black tee and my brick red. Yeah, we're gonna do that next podcast, podcast episode because clearly we don't really get that dolled up. Maybe we yeah, should. For yeah, once. you know what? It was like at that time I was like, oh, this brings me so much joy. And then you know, like that feeling when you put on color you don't typically wear. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'm sexy. I feel great. <laughs> yeah. It's the best feeling ever. Yeah. I don't hate on that. I was also gonna say. You can't hate that much because I do think Gucci's doing a really good job mm-hmm. with their with their products. So I heard great things about their foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kudos to Larry. Mm-hmm. He definitely pointed us in that direction. Um, we've digressed again. <laughs> <laughs> we do this a lot. Um, and then last but not least, um, we're going to end uh, meet part one uh, on sunscreen storage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while since we've talked about sunscreen formula stability. We're here to remind you that stability of sunscreens is a pain in the ass. Um, I can tell you that I have spent a few years working on the same sunscreen formula because it's very sensey and, um, you know, you say nice things to it. <laughs> you have to whisper you good tickle things. it just right, feed it what no. it needs. You know, it's like a tamagotchi. Yeah, tuck <laughs> it in just right in the right packaging, things like that. So, um, because of that, I just want to remind you one thing that commonly happens in sunscreens that we always see is sometimes when you uh, dispense the formula into hand you can see the formula separate. Mm -hmm. And that looks like oil and water wanting to leave each other. 
you'll see it. It's like clear and then but then there's like the white emulsion itself. When that happens and it's not a fluid that needs to be shaken, throw it out. That means mm-hmm. that the formula has died. And um, I think we're we're very we try to be nice. We don't call it out enough, but we see it a lot. A lot. Um, a lot of mineral formulas have that issue. And that is the actual common trait of minerals. Yeah. They don't like being in emulsion. They're like, they get into emulsion, they're like, <gasps> Yeah, they, they sit there and like, okay, and then they slowly just hang out at the bottom. Very sad. So um, we do want to call out that um, when you guys are applying sunscreen. And then also just heat, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, um, when we when chemists do stability tests, um, especially for sunscreens, uh, the two big enemies is sun itself, ironically, <laughs> and heat. Uh, some some filters are more sensitive than others. Some formulas themselves teeter on the edge of being stable, yeah, and it can be very heat sensitive. And know that chemists, when we when we test um, heat sensitivity, it usually only goes up to about forty or forty five degrees Celsius. In a hot day in Arizona, in your car with the sun shining on it, it is probably higher than that. Mm-hmm. And also, it's just like you know, it's been sitting on the shelf. Now it's in your car, in your glove compartment. Just don't store it in cars in general. Yeah. So uh, just keep in mind, you're going to the beach. You don't want to carry it on hand. Um, try not to leave it in your car. Just bring it in your bag. I think that would be a lot easier. So, Get yeah. a little Ziploc bag that goes around the neck for your phone. Slot that sunscreen in there. <laughs> Take it with you. It's a I feel like that's statement. hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even that hardcore. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So that's meat part one. We're going to take a break um, and then let's get into the marketing claims corner. All right. Claims corner, a fan favorite, and we love everyone's submissions. Yeah. Y'all just keep it coming. Um, today uh, is really for me to share. Um, also, just me to rant. Um, I have been using Timeless Vitamin C for a long time. Uh, actually, Gloria and I both have. And I figured it's time for me to start dabbling in what's new. Mm -hmm. And so I figured um, one way is just to browse on Amazon, which I feel like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And just when I thought the vitamin C category in Amazon couldn't get crazier, I actually feel like it got even more confusing Mm -hmm. because they all speak the same language. And they actually speak the same language as 15% ascorbic acid serums. And if you've been listening to us for a long time, we always say it like on Amazon, we have we have noted that most of those are actually sodium ascorbyl phosphate. They're not ascorbic acid, completely different molecule, you know. Um, but I actually got bamboozled by this one serum. This is um, I'll share here. This is Skin Labs Vitamin C Serum. It's called the Vitamin C Brightening Serum. And it actually in the corner has a 15 percent. But it says 15% Vita Energy Complex. Um, so, Vita Energy? Yeah. And I thought I was like, oh, okay, another 15% sodium ascorbyl phosphate uh, serum. Whatever. All right. So I started going to the Inky. And Gloria hasn't seen this yet. So I'm going to share it with her. And we'll put it up here. And we'll let her take a look and ask questions. Uh, okay. So this reads water. Methylpropanediol, propanediol, glycerin, 
one two hexadecimal, niacinamide, betaine. We're getting there, and then three o ethyl ethyl ascorbic acid at fifteen thousand ppm. Uh, pantanol bifida. Um. Yeah, it's just the whole blend, and it's after one two hexane diol. Yeah, and niacinamide. Yeah, homie G, you do not have fifteen percent niacinamide. <laughs> I'm thinking. Let's pause for a second. First of all, it's three O ethyl ascorbic acid. Yeah. That's one that we've um, reiterated. That first of all, there isn't a ton of data. Gloria on loves this, this guy. molecule. I hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy can ask why. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So first of all, there isn't a ton of data on this ingredient. Secondly, um, it's usually tested relatively low levels. Yeah. It's actually usually tested at one to two percent. And a lot of brands are like, oh, okay, now consumers know that vitamin C should be used at ten fifteen percent. So why don't we put this in at ten fifteen percent? But it can be irritating at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and just yeah. Anyway, it doesn't need to be there. And then the fifteen percent is misleading. And of course, calling vitamin C, but it's not ascorbic acid. I will say at that at this point on Amazon, that's the least offensive offense. <laughs> yeah. I it's honestly it kind of made me upset because I think that I understand, you know, people with vitamin C now are looking for very high percentages, but this also just muddies the water and makes it really confusing because you're misleading users into thinking how much they need and it's on us for us to continue educating that with different molecules requires different concentrations um but i was just like really upset i'm like man this is not what it's it's indicating at all i don't even call i wouldn't even call this a vitamin c serum to be honest Mm -hmm. you know i think you could also call you know you could call out other ingredients in this and it's talking about vitamins but you've got other extracts like you know you've got hyaluronic acid you've got a lot of uh plant extracts you've got urea in it I just like was really frustrated with this serum all around and I don't know, it yeah. had a lot of feels. I also have a comment on brands that use parts per million yeah. as an indication. So parts per million, I think it's honestly like thrown around as a as a smoke bomb type of thing. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day, when you call something parts per million versus a percentage, parts per million sounds like there's a lot more, Yeah. right? So 15,000 parts per million is like, wow, it sounds really impressive. But parts per million, it's one one millionth. So when you convert it to percentage, that actually means 1.5% vitamin C or this ingredient. So, all right, that's honestly not even a bad percentage for a 3-0 ethyl, but why call it 15%? Yeah. And then what are you going to do? Blame the art department for leaving out a period? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, well, granted, Amazon caters to a wide audience. Um, I think um, Amazon is one of those places where we might need to bring Decode That IL back because I will say not only is it hard, you know, to read through the lines, especially mm-hmm. on claims on the bottle, and the ingredient list but also i actually had a hard time even finding an ingredient list sometimes so um again i just you know i wanted to bring this to light you know the funny enough this formula is not even a bad formula um it's just misleading and that's why we wanted to talk about it yeah 
Take it away. Yeah, so at the end of the news, we mentioned that La Roche Posay has a new next girl. We're getting um, nerdy. We're getting nerdy. All right, so, let's do it. <clears throat> first, we need a refresher on UVA. Okay. Uh, your SPF value mm-hmm. is talking about UVB. Mm-hmm. That is the more energetic part of the spectrum. It causes sunburns. Shorter wavelength. Yes. And UVA is longer wavelength. It accounts for more of the UV light. It's less damaging in terms of like immediate consequences. It doesn't necessarily cause burns, but there's, I mean, I'm sure you guys all know, time and time again, it's been shown to cause long-term damage, including DNA damage. It does contribute to the likelihood of skin uh, skin cancer. Yeah, so anyway, UVA is a big proponent in, um, in skin aging. Um, Revisit episode 5 for all the nitty gritty on why it's important and the different claims you'll see on your packaging like PA++ or broad spectrum and what that means. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now we're going to dive a little deeper. Let's do it. Oof. The full UVA spectrum covers the wavelength between 315 and four, uh, 400 nanometers. Mm-hmm. Now at 400 nanometers, that's the widest wavelength in the UVA range. It's inching really close to visible light. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so this this part of the wavelength is very important, but what's interesting and what a lot of people don't know is that to get an FDA-approved broad-spectrum claim, your sunscreen product, that critical wavelength, which means that you know it's kind of like where the 90% absorption happens, has to be at 370 nanometers, which means it covers enough of the UVA spectrum. It doesn't necessarily cover tickle everything. all the way. Yeah. And and we should emphasize it's not that we don't want to cover everything. It's that it gets way more difficult as we get further and further into the wavelength. Yes. Size. Mm-hmm. So UVA, you'll see literature and you'll see Instagram posts from um Psycom communicators. They'll tell you that you can consider UVA into UVA one and UVA two. Mm. This is gonna get a, there's a lot of numbers flying around, but just try to bear with us. UVA2 is 315 to 340, so it's adjacent to UVB. And the UVA1 is at the 340 to uh, 400 range, Mm -hmm. which means that, okay, we are trying to cover as much UVA1 as possible, but most sunscreen out there won't cover all the way to 400. So then, of course, there's like that. Uh, there are people out there um, claiming things like, "Oh, you know, like we are our sunscreen covers as much as possible." You'll hear uh, the I don't even want to call it the gold standard. The only chemical UVA filter available to us in the U.S. is avobenzone. Mm-hmm. Usually, three percent avobenzone is that critical amount of sunscreen that will tip your sunscreen over, give it that critical wavelength of like three seventy five, three eighty, mm-hmm. to kind of give you that claim. Mm-hmm. Now, zinc oxide will also get you there, but <clears throat> this is where La Roche-Posay comes in. Um, their new Mexor technology, they claim, can cover all the way to the 400 range and be that truly full-spectrum, even UVA1 um, protection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting, and we just want to highlight, not to alert you to your, um, your current sunscreen, but yeah. it's more like to highlight the difficulties and challenges of sunscreen and why it's super important to get a broad spectrum claim if not at least like a, a, a sunscreen with a pa plus plus claim that uh, we really appreciate i want to go back to what you said about you know 
not being able to absorb the whole curve. Like, yes. remember that, um, first of all, UVA is almost like a subset, um, or not a subset, UVA is only a portion of your sun protection. Yes. And the FDA cares a lot more about skin cancer, so their focus is on UVB. So that's why that they consider 90% of UVA coverage good enough, mm-hmm. you know. And so because of that, um, I think I just don't I, I'm more worried that people are like, oh, my God, I'm still not getting enough sunscreen mm-hmm. protection. And that's really not the case at all. Um, it's just a matter of there's ways to do even better. And so, you know, what's funny is, you know, when we were kind of talking about this, we talked about how it's like, oh, it's a 20 nanometer increase in improvement. Oh, yeah. That's literally the press release. It's like, oh, we get the last 20 nanometers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds really uh, it almost feels insignificant. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's so small, but in some ways, we really like this effort because we had always known that the standard was 90% of the absorbance. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I, I also want to just go into a little bit of the history of the Mexeral line. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's kind of hard to find on the U.S. market because it's patented by L'Oreal. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, you'll only find it in La Roche-Posay maybe biotherm but um you'll see it because they patent it you'll see it loud and clear on the packaging mexerol um the original mexerol and mexerol sx why it's important is because as i mentioned avobenzone is the only chemical sunscreen available in the u.s that covers the uva range yeah and it sucks (laughs) (laughs) uh it's very very unstable yeah it really is um and there of course there are ways to stabilize in formula but of course in terms of sunscreen reliability you always want to do better yep in in asia they have tinosorb which covers a big range of the uva covering both uva one and two range of course not all the way to 400 um but also stretching into uvb even but we don't get it but we don't get it here in the stuck States. with Avo Benzo. <laughs> so the Mexero sunscreen has superior t- texture and stability to Avo Benzo. So that's why some a lot of times you'll hear us reference La Roche Posay's Anthelios line because mm-hmm. uh, La Roche Posay uses the Mexero technology a lot. And now uh, with this new technology, it's not available in the U.S. yet um, because, you know, FDA shenanigans. Yeah. Um, but we'll keep an eye out. Maybe <laughs> we'll ask one of your European friends to, like, get our hands on this. Um, but I also want to, you know, it's exciting news. New UV technology is always really interesting to us. So we'll keep tabs on it, keep an eye out for a review. And I really, really want to just showcase the artwork because <laughs> it made me laugh really hard. Um, because I think they wanted to highlight that oh you know we're covering extra range but they have these <laughs> arrows pointing down and it just looks like their sunscreen is penetrating deeper <laughs> and harder than others out there hello <laughs> fda you'll really like this one with all the drama you're dealing with the bloodstream uh, hello l'oreal pr department are you aware that it's probably not the best signal you're sending people <laughs> Also, it's called UV immune, and I yeah. don't really know what that means. I know they're trying to say immune to UV, but like, I just feel like it's like, uh, just I'd rather didn't just say Mexoral four hundred, so now people can know what to look for. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, dear L'Oreal PR or La Roche Posay marketing, yeah, sponsor um, us today. Yeah, 
look at your bubble guy and less penetrating graphics. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, yay. So honestly, that's really exciting. Um, it is a facet of UVA protection that mm-hmm. I would say people have had questions about and there hasn't been honestly a lot of new technology um, in this department yet. Um, so honestly, I, I can't wait to try. I think people will appreciate it. Um, but other than that, that is the meat. And I hope it was helpful. <gasps> and there was at least one thing you did not know about your sunscreen. Yeah. So I feel like every time we do sunscreen, it's a chunky episode. So That's um, fair. We already finished our beer. Yes. That's how chunky it was. Yes. Cool. Uh, ask us questions. Let us know if it's yeah. helpful. We try to paint complete pictures, but sometimes it gets complicated. We don't want to ramble. So let us know if you have more questions on any of the things we talked about today. Yeah. And sometimes there's just not a clear picture yet. Yes. So, all right, I'm ready. All right, it is time to break, break, break it up, break, break, break it up, break, break, break it up. Woo, woo, woo. All right, my Sapporo is sitting happy. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, today is Gloria's turn, and we are talking about the Sharknado. Excuse me, <laughs> is that a movie? <laughs> it is. The, it is a movie. Oh, it is. A movie. Sharknado is an actual movie. I'm pretty sure you could have watched that in 3D, right? Yeah, yeah. It was. I I think I watched parts of it and I fell asleep, but it was like mildly entertaining. It's supposed to be one of those like it's so bad that it's good type of movie. Do you ever watch Piranha? Oh, I did watch. Piranha. That one's also very good in the yeah. worst way possible. Yeah. And now that tells you a lot about our taste. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, uh, I'm gonna just read this article for you. Right. Sharknado's Revenge. Excuse me. Wait, it's a shark volcano. Yes, correct. Oh, so it's not a Sharknado. It's a shark. Kano. Sharkano. Yeah, it's uh, the movie. Got it all wrong. I'm ready for the blockbuster. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> this article uh, written on thefuturism.com. Actually, I've never been on this website before. Mm-hmm. But anyway, as if we needed anything else to worry about, <laughs> a Pacific underwater volcano that is home to a bunch of sharks has erupted. Excuse me? Yes. As uh, NASA's Earth Observatory announced, the Kavachi Volcano, located in the Solomon Islands off the coast of Papua New Guinea, has been erupting since October. In case you were worried about a B-movie scenario (laughs) featuring ferocious lava-infused sharks, the reality is uh, more banal. Though it could be bad news for the sharks because it's unclear how the eruption Mm. will affect the two species living in the submerged crater since the last Mm. eruption in 2014. Uh, both hammerheads and the somewhat smaller silky shark called Kavachi, uh, called Kavachi home. And scientists are still puzzled as to why these big boys appear to have flocked to the volcano in the first place. As researchers wrote in a 2016 oceanography journal paper, their presence in Kavachi raises a new question about the eco- uh, ecology of active submarine volcanoes mm. and the extreme environments in which large marine uh, animals can exist. And the bite decided to call it a sensual eruption. Their oh. words, their words, not mine. Oh. It's a sensual eruption. Why is it sensual? <laughs> <laughs> One of the most active volcanoes in the Pacific, Kavachi, as NASA notes, creates, uh, created a number of short-lived ephemeral islands that have since eroded in the years since it was first recorded erupting in 1939. 
This submarine volcano isn't just a shark haven. Uh, six-gill stingrays and snapperfish have also been observed within mm. the crater. As NASA notes, sulfur-loving microbial communities also flourish there. Anyway, I thought that uh, the image they used was like, it's really funny because um, underwater probes or like um, explorations in extreme conditions, the camera work isn't as good as people think, right? You're not going to get an HD volcano of sharks. Yeah. So you just see like plume and then a shadow. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's a shark in the Sharknado. But anyway, it's really interesting. I thought the bike kind of like toned it down a little bit. There are even more sensational headlines that say, Volcano shark discovered in volcano! <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, doomsday. I, I do feel like volcanoes and sharks together is a terrifying concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it seems like these species... Um, are they're not your run the mill hammerheads and uh and silk sharks they do seem to have adapted to these extreme environments mm. um i think it's super interesting and <laughs> i just find it really funny when i was talking to victoria about this uh, we just saw another skincare launch that's like oh we used like you know the extracts from this plant that lives in extreme conditions <laughs> i was like all right nasa <laughs> if you just extend an extra deep pipette <laughs> To land of Sharkano. <laughs> Sharkano water. Yeah, Sharkano mm-hmm, water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, uh, there's something there. You know, it's funny. Y- y'all think we're joking. No, there are ingredients that are sold because they're like, these plants thrive in extreme conditions. Imagine what it can do for your cells and how it can protect your cells. Questionable. I'm sure I hope you guys are all asking questions. It's the same thing. I think it's totally viable. If they can do it, why can't we? Yeah, I don't know uh, when I need my face to love sulfur. <laughs> but well, sulfur. I mean, acne users are very, they, they are used to sulfur. So oh we, my God, we use it. So we up the tolerance of sulfur. It's a win-win. Call now, me. I have a question. Did they ever explain why they like to gravitate towards no nope. okay uh, so, so it's, it's not well understood yeah it's a okay. relatively new discovery i think they kind of knew that they're kind of hang out there but it's very confusing to them like what's the now survival advantage yeah now. so Maybe they just like the balmy temperatures yeah it's like a hot springs for sharks exactly <laughs> that's why the stingrays are there i'm sure it tracks all sorts of critters too yeah mm-hmm. anyway, cool sharkano guys sharkano is animal corner exciting <laughs> Sharkano toner coming soon. So for anyone going to the ocean for vacation, y'all can sleep on that. <laughs> All right. Yay, Animal Corner. Cool. Cool. Right. Let's, Let's wrap, wrap this, this up. up. Cool. Uh, for Q&A Corner, recently we had uh, our friend at Leo Love Soul Music invited us to AE Institute's esthetician class. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate the invite. Um, it's always good to get um, to get these questions from people who yeah. are just stepping into the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to kick off this Q&A sesh with a, a question that they asked. Mm-hmm. So one of the students asked, how do you choose ingredients that go into your products? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very broad and very loaded question. <laughs> carefully. Yes, carefully. Uh, a big part of the chemist job, other than, you know, probably what you guys are picturing, which is working at a bench mm-hmm. and I guess recording a podcast, um, is a lot of reading, <laughs> a yeah. lot of research. Yeah. Um, so 
Of course, not every brand, actually no brand out there manufactures every single one of their raw materials. Mm -hmm. You work with suppliers of these raw materials. Anything from a very boring beeswax, there can be like 20 different suppliers. And it is a chemist's job to go through these different suppliers. You cross-compare, you know, your their technical sheets, the impurities that might come in these raw materials, and the reliability through testing, you know, like let's say we're talking about beeswax, uh, there's a quoted melting point range. Now that sample they sent you, does that match the description? You know, like these are just things that's part of a, a chemist's job. Not glamorous, but very important. I wanted to also add like, you know, some people say like, oh, if you, you know, all these brands have the resource to use all the, they have the same access to all of these ingredients. Like, does that make these formulas different actually? And to be honest, like Gloria is not even exaggerating on the 20 different types of beeswax. Like there's actually thousands and some of these can be functionalized. Um, they can be modified for a certain texture um, goals. So because of that, um, not to put the spotlight, spotlight on us, but it really does take a chemist to not only discern, to do the research, to vet, but also to test and formulate to make sure that that is the right ingredient to use. And these are all functionals. We're actually mm -hmm. not even talking about the actives yet. Yeah. Which gets wild. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So great question. Um, honestly, it's just through our background knowledge, our goals, what we want to achieve and just doing the hard work of researching and testing. Yep. All right. Next question. So this is from at Beck.Amy.Thomas. Um, she asks if she can use the UV reveal at clinical settings. We briefly touched on this, but let's touch on it again. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... We don't work for them. We don't have any official relationship mm -hmm. with them. Never talk to anyone there. Um, ultimately, maybe there's a grade that they sell at salons, but that's a conversation to be had with the company directly. Yeah. The version that is available to the public um, online, that is a version that we have, and that one is limited in, uh, in the wavelength. We briefly yeah. touched on it. It only covers uh, a very specific UVA, UVA range, which means what you're getting out of it is... Um, limited. What we also want to add is the the <laughs> the machine itself is a little wonky. It is kind of I I think it's their version one, if not two. So <laughs> could be better. Yeah, it could be could better. Be better. <laughs> so for us, again, we just want to reiterate that a lot of the tests that we're doing, we're highlighting some of the things that you should keep in mind in application, things that will affect sunscreen wear, and just to demo that. You know, with sweat, exercise, and whatever lifestyle things that might affect, uh, might affect reapplication times. To keep in mind, we're not; it's not a clinical test whatsoever. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then next question: um, They wanted to know, geographically speaking, who has the best skincare? Heard great things about Korean skincare. Yeah, um, you know, this is. You're not gonna like this answer. But in every region, there is really good skincare and there is really bad skincare. It depends on the, honestly, the product and comes down to each product's formula. So I wouldn't say one is ranked better than the other. All I can say is that something that we've touted before is that everywhere else outside of the U.S. has access to a broader library of sunscreen filters. So generally, those textures are better um, and the other thing we can say is that per region, they are formulating for their 
citizens and that comes with a specific type of climate Mm -hmm. so you know if you go to asia you'll notice textures are generally really fresh Mm -hmm. and they're very water-based they're watery and um it's because their climate's super humid you know um so you can keep those things in mind but to truly rank which country does it better eh, that's just really hard to say and you could argue one way or another yeah, I think uh, that's such a good point. And different regions tend to have different trends. Yeah. In the mm-hmm. most general sense possible. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily translate across all brands. So For sure. That's it. For example, sunscreens in Asia. So we just said they have great textures, but they like to whiten. Yes. Um, and I can tell you a uh, majority of the sunscreens don't work for my skin tone. So again, pros and cons. Uh, all right. So then final question is, is there a difference between men's and women's skincare? Ah, yes. So we get this question a lot. And recently we actually interacted with one of our followers mm-hmm. who's um, a man. And he was like, <laughs> oh, hey, uh, I, I just started in getting into skin science. Love your content. Yeah. I've been using lab series can you tell me that it's crap? <laughs> yeah. And I th- it made me laugh so hard because everyone, a lot of people ask us to validate, saying, tell me I'm doing good. And he said, please tell me I need to upgrade. <laughs> um, but lab series aside, I think it's actually a relatively solid men's line. Generally speaking, the ingredients that's used in men's and women's skincare, they're the same. Yeah. Um, they're trends, right? Yeah. So men tend to be a little bit more oily than women. Yep. But of course, men can still have dry skin, oily skin, the full mm-hmm. spectrum. So men's skincare line tends to be formulated a little lighter. They tend to use a little bit more like uh, oil-absorbing powders. Uh, and their cleansers tend to be just a hit more stripping. But of course, that kind of changes. Um, because the reality is maybe men in general are... Um, a little bit behind the curve in terms of trends because there are not as many um, men's brands that are like on the forefront of like, oh yeah, microbiome. That's where it's at right now. Um, It's definitely getting there. Um, I would say that um, leaps and bounds, just within the past couple of years, men's lines have improved leaps and bounds. But you also have to understand that you have to undo certain, the history of skincare with men. Mm -hmm. And that is that the average male from what we've you know seen in you know in our time of formulating is that they don't want to feel like they have product on their skin you know mm-hmm. um and Gloria is absolutely right um in research they have found that men produce more sebum than women um it's simply because they have testosterone um and because of that they just the weight of it is very off-putting and that's why sunscreens are very off-putting um so is there a difference between skincare on a functional level not really um active level honestly i feel like it's it's probably a little behind i agree with gloria um Mm -hmm. but they're getting there and if you are looking for like anti-aging um antioxidants things like that now with more gender neutral lines we're starting to see those uh formulation guidelines starting to blur and that's great because that means now you really don't it doesn't matter which brand is more female oriented or male oriented it's about what works so yeah yeah so um i have to say i personally am a fan of all of the men's lines fragrance yep like body wash yep 
because um after they finally moved away from the axe styling um i think it's like i don't know just like the gender neutral sense appealed to me more than like the really yeah. sweet brown sugar coconut type of fragrance yeah totally agree and i can definitely tell you i wear i wear my husband's <laughs> fragrance yeah i do uh we we share and I think he's okay with me revealing that. But anyways, so yeah. That ship has sealed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyways, um, yeah, there's really no difference. You use what you want. You use what, at the end of the day, what works for your skin. Um, so that's it. That's the end of Q&A. Yay! That's the end of this episode. Yay. We hope it was helpful. Um, what does this mean? Uh, summer really has just started, so there's going to be a lot more to come. We'll continue to share those. We probably won't do a whole dedicated episode to sunscreens, but we'll definitely share those findings. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know where to find us, right, Gloria? Yes. Uh, <laughs> find us on our website at chemistconfessions.com. Um, comment on this video below. Yeah. You can write to us at info at chemistconfessions.com or find us on good old Instagram, chemist.confessions. <laughs> Thanks for sticking out with us in this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We will see you guys next time. Bye.